It's your old pal, the Crypt Keeper. Tonight's tale of terror comes from the Trick or Treaters podcast. Join them as they journey into the horrifying unknown. <laughs> you are listening to the Trick or Treaters podcast, part of the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Movie reviews, horror news, and all the gory details. Listen if you dare. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Trick or Treaters Podcast. I am your host, Kyle, and as always, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, JR. JR, how are you doing today, brother? Matt, it is a wonderful Wednesday evening. It uh, we're almost through the month of July. Here we are, it's July twenty first, as we're recording, and we're almost done with our slasher, slasher horror summer. You know, decorating all the the summer of horror with all of our great films that we've encountered. Doing another great one today, but you know, this year just continues to fly on by, and we're almost into August. The you know the final five months of twenty twenty one. It's just you know I. Not to, you know, go over, you know, old wounds, but man, it's just, it's crazy where we started in January to where we're at now. It's just completely different and I'm glad for it that we're, you know, everything is getting back to a sense, you know, a normalcy and, you know, went to see another movie again, went to go see Black Widow in theaters last Friday. It was amazing to be in theaters, the smell of popcorn, you know, popping and nachos and hot dogs everywhere. Of course, I didn't indulge in any of that, but... Uh, it's just good to have that in the in the air, and we have uh, more great movies on the horizon, and a lot of fun activities coming out. I just throw it to you. Uh, last week, the big news was all the amazing houses for Halloween Horror Nights that are coming out. Oh yes, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre got announced. Super excited about that. Uh, for those who don't know, I'm going to Halloween Horror Nights in Orlando for the first time. And I'm super excited to see everything and go to Universal for the first time. But I'm mostly excited to be able to hang out with all my friends I've gotten really close. I've become really close to in Orlando, especially Cece and Jess, the Scream Queens, and uh, Teddy and all of our, all of our other friends. Uh, I'm super excited to see everybody and, and, and just have a great time in Orlando and go on Halloween Horror Nights and every, everything else we can get into. Yeah, you know, one of the, the, the things about where we're at right now is essentially we, the world, as America has opened up, there's so much excitement about everything that's coming out. And you, whether it's the upcoming Halloween movie or Candyman movie or, or the Scream movie, but then also activities and events, you know, everybody knows that you and I are big wrestling fans. There's so much uh, anticipation for uh, WWE SummerSlam in Las Vegas, and then All Out in Chicago, the first two big, you know, massive wrestling events that are going to be, you know, essentially at full capacity on a grand scale. Then you have something like Halloween Horror Nights, where it just gets a lot of visitors into the area, a lot of excitement around that, and you just see just that 
that built up and um I suspect that these events that you know you and I are going to and other people are going to is really going to be something that's memorable because the people who are behind the scenes are going to do everything they can to make it as epic as possible because of what everybody's gone through in the previous 16 to 17 months. Yeah, I'm 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 really excited about it. It's uh it's been a good year so far. Uh I mean way better than last year. I mean anything can beat last year, but it, it, everything's been going great uh this year. I'm I'm happy that uh I was able to get vaccinated. All my friends have been vaccinated and other people who want to get vaccinated are getting vaccinated and I'm I'm just happy to see things kind of opening up and getting back to somewhat of a normal than than what we had last year. Yeah, you know, with that also being said, um, there's also the possibility for international travel. You know, for the last few months, parts of Europe was allowing for individuals who are vaccinated uh, with um, here in the U.S. to travel to areas like Greece and Spain. Ireland just opened up again. Uh, Canada's looking to open up next month in August. So you're going to see a lot more movement. There's going to be a lot more things that are going to happen, you know, in other countries as well that's going to allow for more exciting events. So it's a good time. Um, But with that said, let's transition to a bit of news. Uh, There's not a lot of news this week, but there is one thing that brings up a lot of excitement as we're gearing towards you know, the month of October where it's everybody's favorite month here at the Trick or Treaters podcast, the month of Halloween. And on October 12th will be the TV series premiere of Chucky that sets in the Child's Play universe. And it's interesting that it's going to be, uh, I don't know if it's the whole season or at least the first episode, it's going to be simulcast on both USA Network and Sci-Fi. And the trailer just dropped a few days ago on YouTube. And did you get a chance to check that out, Kyle? Oh yeah, I'm super excited about that. Uh, I'm I've been a big Child's Play fan for a while now. And whenever I saw, I heard about this TV show and I saw who all was involved, I got really excited. And the trailer and all the other back behind the scenes stuff that they've been showing recently, building up uh, for the premiere of it, it's been really exciting. Yeah, and one thing I, I misspoke when I said the Child's Play, um, you know, timeline. I mean the original from Child's Play one through Cult of Chucky, not including the remake that, um, that came out a few years ago. So you're going to see or hear uh, Brad Dorf as the, the voice of Chucky. Uh, you're going to see um, Alex Vincent, who played Annie Barkley in the original series, is going to be a part of this. You're going to see uh, Christine. Elsney, who played Kyle in Child's Play 2 and also made a, a premiere in uh, Cult of Chucky will be part of this. Jennifer Tilly is going to be part of this. Um, I don't know if it's just going to be a reoccurring role or if they're going to be a lead or if it's a guest appearance, but that's the universe it's going to be set in, at least at this current moment. Uh, or, I mean, excuse me, the actors in that universe. So I'm excited for that. As I mentioned, that drops on October 12th which is also the same week as Halloween Kills is going to drop. So it's a very big week in October, uh, the Chucky TV series premiere, as well as Halloween Kills in the movies. So as we say, October can't come soon enough. Oh, yeah. 
And uh, another thing I want to talk about, we haven't got to talk about since the last time we recorded. Uh, I recently, uh, a couple of days ago, finally watched uh, part three of the Fear Street 1666. And let me tell you that I just felt like that was absolutely phenomenal. Like they did an amazing job of bringing all three movies together and and coming to a conclusion but also leaving us with open world for possible sequels. And like, I just want to say, like, it's wonderful that 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 was all done by one director, a female director at that. And I mean, it just shows that when directors, when people have visions over many different uh, projects, let them stick to it and let let them see their vision uh, come to life. Because I don't, it, it was something, something like Fear Street wouldn't have been able to be done if you did. Uh, one director doing one part and another director doing the other part, it wouldn't have worked. It worked because they let that director have all three parts and let her vision come to life. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I got done watching the part, part three this, this weekend. So for those of you who don't know from July 2nd to this last Friday, every Friday, on Netflix, there was a part of Fear Street that dropped. The first one being Fear Street Part 1, 1994, Fear Street Part 2, 1978, and then Fear Street Part 3, 1666. And they all mingled, they all connected together. Um, and it was, I think it was just done very, uh, that a lot of artistic concepts in as far as the way that they connected the stories the story timeline together because it sounds weird like how are you going to go from i guess the present day would be 1994 and then work your way backwards but the way it was done made it worked and they did a great job and having it done like every week where you had a part of this trilogy that dropped i just think was amazing because all six out all three parts and each part was approximately two hours it needed to be six hours long and trying to, you know, do one drop of like, this is a six hour movie. Wasn't going to work. I also don't think doing six, uh, one hour movies would work or one hour, like, you know, episodes would work. The way it was done was, I was perfect. And I don't know what the future holds. I, you know, based on some readings from the, the director was interviewed that they have ideas for a next, um, part of fear street, but, it was amazing as I try to explain it to individuals. I mean, it has some essence of Scream, some essence of Friday the 13th, some essence of witchcraft in, in here. I'm not big into like the, the witch or, you know, witchcraft genre, but I definitely would say, you know, it's, it's in there too. Um, you know, or voodoo. So it's very good. If you're a fan of horror, I cannot recommend enough. And one of the things that, you know, I don't know if it's, say spoiler but you and i are working with you know next month in august we're going to cover netflix films and we're definitely one of the films we will cover is uh fear street part one 1994 uh which i'm excited to just revisit it again because it was such i mean for, for me and i'll leave it at this those three those three films together as a trilogy m- may be like the best like horror series ever released in my opinion Oh, absolutely! It's it's 
it's easily been one of my most uh, one of the things I've I've uh, I've really uh, gotten the most enjoyment out of watching uh, recently as as far as, as as far as stuff in the horror genre and especially on Netflix and I it just I I need more I need more stuff like this. The series was absolutely phenomenal. I hope that they see that everybody loved Fear Street, and I hope that they continue it, and we get more and more of it. So, uh, with that said, I think it's uh, let's just jump right into the main events of today's episode, uh, which is the 1980 film Friday the Thirteenth. This is yep. this is part of the you know the series that you love. It doesn't have your favorite you know slash your favorite character of Jason in there. You know, um, that, I mean technically he's in it, but yeah, like for like three seconds. I mean, let's be realistic yeah. too. Yeah, um, but as far as as the actual an- antagonist of the film, it's not Jason. We'll we'll get into why it's not Jason uh, as we go through the review. But you know, quickly, Kyle, what is your thoughts of this film, Friday, of the the original Friday Thirteenth that was released in nineteen eighty? Um, well, I may get, uh, I may get, uh, as people in the rest, since we're wrestling fans, as as we like to use the term "heat" for this, but uh, as a Friday Thirteenth fan, I. I respect the original 1980 film and I do think it has some good aspects, but overall I don't really enjoy this film that much. It's probably not even, I don't think I even have it in my top seven of the franchise. That That's a big statement. I mean, when I look at, I've seen all the ones uh, obviously, we know Rock Top. It's there's ten because we know we gets up to Jason Jason X. Um, so you're talking about if you're not if you're saying not top seven, I know you don't. Uh, you know it's not Jason goes to hell. But so which which ones would you that you think this one's better through? I guess that would be a better way to ask. Which ones do, do, do I think, think it's better than? Which which no uh which Friday thirteenth nineteen eighty which films do you think is worse than this one in the franchise? Yes. Well, Jason goes to hell. Is there any other ones that you think is worse that you uh, enjoy less than nineteen eighty? Uh, I'm not really sure. Besides Jason Goes to Hell, just because while I don't like that part five is a different killer, I do like a lot of the things in part five. And I'm not a huge fan of part three, but I do think it is it is better than this. So probably no, not really. Uh, I, honestly, with that being said, yeah, yeah, now that you've brought that up, this this may actually be like my second to last in the franchise if I had to rank it. Yeah, you know it's it's a it's a tough one. You know, one thing we'll say. Uh, let's get into a little bit of background of this. 
because of the success of John Carpenter's Halloween that was released in 1978, the director, which was directed by Sean Cunningham, um, he basically came up with the idea to make this film because of that, because yeah. of Halloween 1978. Yeah, it basically it, wanted to rip off Halloween. And they, you know, filming took uh, filming took place in the summer of '97. It, it did have a, a, similar to Halloween, had a very small budget, approximately a, a half a million dollars, and it ended up being um, Paramount Pictures acquired the the film for the domestic distribution here in the United States, and then uh, Warner Brothers ended up doing it for international di- distribution. So. Th- there's things that we'll go through, but the one of the things that I look at this film is the way that it's shot in a lot of ways because you don't know who the killer is until the very end. You see a lot of off-screen stuff, and I think for some individuals who don't like off-screen kills may favor other Friday the 13th because of that. Yeah, that that's like pretty much the main reason why I don't like it that much is there's a lot of off kill they're off screen kills. There's also some of the screens that are on kill. Like there's scenes there's some kills where they'll like stab somebody. The the killer will stab somebody in the stomach. But the way it's shot is it'll it, it, you won't see the knife. It, it's like below and so you you don't even see anything happening. And Probably the worst part is character development. There's no character development in this movie at all. Like, I couldn't even tell you the name of Kevin Bacon's character. And then not to mention, like, all the other uh, people, I don't care about them. I don't know their their names. Uh, I don't really know. I don't really know any of their names. Uh, And on top of that, uh, the the final girl, Alice, I, I don't give two shits about her because because like you don't even realize she's going to be a final girl because she's just literally just a random person in the group that just happens to be the last one alive there's no development into getting something happening in the film to make us like her yeah so one of the things is and I agree with you I think this kind of uh, set a bad motion into some of the horror genre one of the jokes i would say is that if you if you show violence you show nudity you're gonna make money the problem is that you you basically have fill in the bank you know it's like i need 10 actors and you can pull 10 people off the street and those are your actors because you don't have that character development so when you look at this film so for example you the final girl his name's alice you have other characters named bill marcy brenda jack ned annie and I honestly don't know who any of those people are. But when you compare that to Halloween, you know who played Laurie Strode. When you compare that to Friday, uh, excuse me, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know who played Nancy. When you look at Scream, you know who played Sydney or Tatum uh, or Billy Loomis or Randy. Th- those characters, the character development made those roles um at least famous, if not iconic. And in Halloween, excuse me, in Friday the 13th, that just doesn't happen in really any of the films, I, w- I would say. I mean, there's some memorable actors, but for the most part, 
it's really you just see some random people get put in and then they end up just dying. And where the more memorable character is actually the main one, which is the main antagonist and future films is Jason. And in this one, and in this one, people remember the main killer, but that's about it. Is that fair? To, is that fair to say, Kyle? Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's, that's that's pretty much my point. Exactly. It all comes down mostly just off screen kills, uh, no character development. Uh, also, one of the things I really hated about this uh, a lot, even though okay, I, I, I'm no fan of snakes. I, I actually have a, a, a legitimate fear of snakes. Like, I don't like them one bit. But a real snake was used in this film and killed for no fucking reason whatsoever. And I, I don't, uh, I don't, I, I'm not a fan of animal violence in films and killing innocent animals, even if they are snakes. I don't like them for no reason at all when, when you didn't have to do that. And they do kill a real snake in this film. Yeah, and one of the things is you see later on, especially in a lot of films, um, you will see at the end in the ending credits, uh, if you see anything that happens to an animal, whether it's a dog or, you know, anything, um, that says no animals will harm in the making of this film. Obviously, that's not the case in that, and, and for good reason, we shouldn't, you shouldn't just kill an, an animal just for a shot in a, in a film or a TV show or, or an act. Because then it just creates a very negative precedent. So I'm glad that scene has changed in cinema over the years, but that is that is very unnecessary. Especially for that that scene you're talking about was completely unnecessary. It was more of a jump scare that was that didn't need to happen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then the the closing scene in this film is completely unnecessary. Like that they could have ended it at the end with Jason popping out of the water and pulling Alice down, that would have been a perfect ending, but the dream sequence just sounds, just seems really dumb to even, to even uh, add that part in there. I think the best part, the only thing that I even enjoy about these movie, this movie is uh, I appreciate, you know, the story of it. And some of the kills are, are good. And, and we have Tom Savini to thank for that because he did, all the uh, effects for this film, you know, the legendary Tom Savini. So of course, of course it's going to be good. Uh, and then the, the final act when we finally, Uh, Kyle, what did you say about the final act? Oh, crap! Uh, I said the the, uh, the final act is 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 probably like one of the best parts about this film because you you get to know where uh, you find out who the killer is, and then the the big showdown between the the killer and Alice, the final girl, and it, it's it, it's a really good final act, and it's probably like one of the very few things I like about this movie. Well, let's get into some of the, before we get into review, we'll go over the background. As I mentioned, it was directed by Sean Cunningham. It was written by Victor Miller. Uh, Victor Miller, even um, as writing this, even a minute that he was 
they were purposely stolen from John Carpenter's Halloween as far as when they were writing this film, which I mean, at least, yeah, at least give credit. Uh, it was produced also by Sean written, uh, excuse me, directed and produced by Sean Cunningham. It starred uh, Betsy Palmer, Adrian King, Harry Crosby, Laurie uh, Bar- Bartum, Mark Nielsen, uh, Janine Taylor, Robbie Morgan, and a very young and not so famous yet, but soon to be famous, Kevin Bacon. As mentioned, it was uh, here in the United States, it was uh, distributed by Paramount Pictures. And it was released in May 9th, 1980, uh, with the running time of 95 minutes. So it's a very short watch. I mean, pretty much, you know, five minutes credits, 90 minutes as a movie. Budget yeah. of half a million dollars, and it made approximately $60 million worldwide, which, I mean, again, it's just very, very similar to Halloween uh, as far as, you know, had a small budget but had a great success in the box office which is why uh and you ended up seeing sequel after sequel after sequel because people love (laughs) you know they like the first one and especially in the second one when we saw uh jason come out it created that big cult fan following yeah he uh this definitely this was the birth of the legendary franchise you know, without this film, we don't have we don't have Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, one thing I liked about this, I like that it was mostly filmed at an actual Boy Scout camp called Camp Anobi An- An- Bosco in Hardwick, uh, New Jersey, which I, th- I believe is still up and, and running. And for a while there, I don't know if you can still do it, but they had an eBay link that you could go to and you could actually buy uh, parts of the dock uh, f- from the lake and and you could buy that. And it, if, uh, if I would have had the funds when they were selling it, I definitely would have tried to buy it. You know, just like I say, I own a piece of the dock at Camp Crystal Lake. That'd be pretty cool. I mean, just as a fan, like, it'd be like, hey, you want to buy a piece of the Myers house? And I'll be like, yeah, absolutely. I'd want to buy a piece of the Myers house. Um, so we'll get into the review. And right away, it, the first thing you see is you see a camp, you see the water, and you see it says Camp Crystal Lake, 1958 at the bottom of it. And you ended up seeing, you know, there's some campfire, uh, camp counselors who are singing and doing the you know kumbaya type moment and then all of a sudden two camp counselors uh named barry and claudette sneak off to go into a i believe it's like the attic of like a like where they have like a cafeteria but it's wherever the counselors were congregating they ended up going up to like the attic part they begin making out and I guess for me, I guess for the beginning, it was kind of cool. You would see the point of view of the killer, you know, walking around the corner, walking up the steps. And then you, yeah. you see them spying. You see the killer spying on the uh, the camp counselors. And you hear Claudette say, I hear something. And, and you know, obviously Claudette and Barry were having relations. You get up and Barry's like, oh, we're just, you know, fooling around. And then you see uh, 
Barry uh, gets stabbed by the killer and then basically like a free swim of Claudette screaming and the zoom in and you get into like a title card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just your typical, you know, 80s slasher opening. And then from there, it fast forwards to the like Friday the 13th of present time. So yeah. this would be said essentially if that was 1958. Uh, it, on my, yeah, it's on June 13th. So my assumption would be is that this is now 22 years into the future. And we see a character um, walking around whose uh, name is Annie. And she looks like, you know, a, a hitchhiker. And she's walking in this neighborhood and she's looking for a ride to Camp Crystal Lake. And she stumbles upon a diner and asking for anything. And you hear the the locals say, oh, Camp Blood, you know, they're opening that that camp again. And she's kind of getting questions. And the one thing I will say, Kyle, is when I first saw Annie assuming maybe like you know if she's the first person we see in this present time maybe she was going to be a, a an important character um what did you what did you see about think about annie the first time you saw her well uh uh basically what you said i thought she was going to be an important character i thought this was going to be like a main person that was you know could potentially probably be our final girl. You know, the one thing I would say, uh, going to the on a quick tangent, it's very interesting how you saw the same thing with Nightmare on Elm Street in 1984, and her name skips my mind. Uh, the friend of Nancy, um, but she ends up dying in the beginning, yeah. uh, and the same thing you go into uh, Scream with Drew Barrymore. Especially, yeah, at, that, especially with Drew Barrymore at the time. I know, you know, not rehashing screen, but, yeah. you know, such a major character. You assume, so I wonder if that's also part of, you know, if they draw comparisons or draw, you know, the idea from night, uh, from Friday 13th that was released in 1980. Um, anyways, we see that she's been offered a, a lift by a truck driver. Uh, and despite as she's coming out of the truck driver, she runs into our favorite crazy person that we've come to know as crazy Ralph telling them that they're all going to die and they're doomed and that they better, you know, stay away from the camp. what do you think about crazy Ralph? Oh, I love crazy Ralph. He's a legendary character in for the Friday 13th fans. I mean, come on, you got the most you got uh, amazing catchphrases like you know you're going to camp blow uh, camp blood aren't you and you're all doomed and it's got a death curse I mean come on you can't not like crazy Ralph he's he's a character so they end up Annie gets into the with the driver I believe that his name is uh, Enos and as they're driving towards Camp Crystal Lake. Uh, she, he tells he tells tells her you know basically don't go and starts telling about you know the the trouble past of the camp a kid drowned in 57 two camp counselors died in 58 a number of fires they were going to open it up and then the water was bad it said it's it's cursed and annie's laughing off it's like you sound like that crazy guy back there um said everything's going to be fine and uh, 
you know, Enos was dro- dropped her off a- about halfway, and Annie's walking, and she ends up catching a ride from another hitchhiker. It's unseen person, and at this time, we ended up seeing we we see kind of like the camp counselors. You know, it switches to a different direction where we meet the owner, Steve Christie, and he's with uh, Ned, Jack, Bill, Marcy, Brenda, and Alice. And he's telling them, like, you know, we got a lot of work to do. We got to make sure we get these cabins, you know, cabins uh, refurbished, get these things up and running, especially before a thunderstorm is about to come for the night. And the the camp counselor is about to leave, uh, excuse me, the owner, Steve Christie, and one thing he tells her is, make sure when Annie comes in, who's supposed to be the cook, that she gets started right away in the kitchen. And then it switches back to Annie and driving, and she tells the, the driver, he goes, I think you just missed it. And the driver starts speeding up faster. And she says, hey, I think we better stop. We better stop. And the driver keeps going, and she ends up bailing out of the car. And then the driver gets out ends up stalking her ends up slashing her throat in the woods and you know credit to i'm gonna give the credit to tom savini it was a pretty good you know you know practical effect for the throat slash that he did for the kill yeah oh yeah for sure this it was a great throat slash especially the the the, the effects of it and i and like i know that uh you know i said i didn't like certain aspects of this movie, but I do like this whole point of view aspect where all we see basically is hands, so we don't know who the killer is, and it keeps us guessing throughout. Yeah, even when, and right before, uh, you know, Annie's killed, when she bells out of the car, you see her getting out of the car, but you don't, and I, I actually try to go back, and I, like, reversed and try to watch, you know, like, I did it four times, I'm not gonna lie. I was like trying to see, can I see the driver like in the, in the, you know, and I, for me, I can't see anybody driving the vehicle the way it's shot. I can't tell if it's, you know, man or woman uh, or anybody. I can't tell what they look like at all. I just see nothing. And they, I think they did a good job keeping the, um, the antagonist killer identity hidden. Yeah, I like that they did that, though. So right there, we end up going back. Um, go back into Camp Crystal Lake, and essentially, Ned goes off into the woods, and after, and after he sees somebody uh, walking into a cabin, Ned goes after them. And we, we see a lot of interaction between the, the camp counselors throughout the day, but then the one that's kind of we do end up seeing is the relationship between um, Jack and Marcy, who I believe Jack is actually played by Kevin Bacon. Yes, he's played by Kevin Bacon. So Jack and Marcy, yeah. uh, they ended up, you know, I guess getting together and having – Again, the whole let's have relations. They end up having sex in the room, and unbeknownst to them, we uh, on top of the bunk we see Ned, who's dead. Uh, didn't mean to rhyme, but that's what it is. Ned is dead. He had his throat slashing on top of the bunk after Kevin Bacon and um, after Kevin Bacon and 
his character Jack and Marcy end up having sex. Marcy ends up leaving to go to one of the uh, restrooms to get uh, washed up. And for those, if you've never been to a, a camp or a cabin before, a lot of times, most times, I, I know from when I went through camp, your camp uh, bathrooms and showers are in another building that's not connected to your cabins. It's a centralized area that has, you know, anywhere from four to six showers, four to six, you know, stall toilets uh, for use for everybody in the cabin and that's there in the camp. So Marcy leaves and then um, Jack is ends up smoking a cigarette in the bunk and he notices that something falls on him and he on his head and he touches it and looks at his finger and he sees that it's blood. And all of a sudden, from underneath the bed, a hand comes out and grabs him by the forehead. And then a through his throat, a spear comes out of his throat, uh, puncturing his throat and ends up killing him. Yeah, amazing effects by, by Tom Savini for that kill. I honestly don't even know how, how that was even done. Like, you try to think about it, you know, I, in some, in a way that, in a bigger way, I can't think of comparison. It kind of reminds me of the, like, the pendulum in one of the Saw movies where they had to, like, basically, like, get his body, like, put it underneath the table and then put, like, a, a, a like a dummy body on top of it to hide, you know, his stomach so that way they could do the effect. I feel like, uh, I feel like what they did was, um, I feel like they like put Kevin Bacon under the bed and then just had like, kind of like a fake neck or something for them to do the piercing because when you look at it, it looks like it looked legitimately like they pierced his throat. Like, I don't know about you, Cobb, but it looked real to me the way it was done. Yeah, I think how you explained it is how they did it. I know that they they explained how they did it on the Shutter documentary. Well, it's not Shutter documentary, but it's on Shutter. But there is a documentary called uh, called Crystal Lake Memories that goes over all of the Friday Thirteenths in like details. It's like over seven hours long. And it explains everything and every movie and almost every little kill and how they did what. And I'm unshamefully admit that I watched all seven hours one day just because I had nothing else to do. <laughs> I did it in one sitting. <laughs> Don't even care. But yeah, I'm pretty sure it's it's how you. So essentially, it. what what I'm as I'm saying, and I apologize if I was uh, stammering my words, listeners. But it's basically a trap door. So his head sticks out, and then you put like a essentially like a trap door over his over his body that has like a a prosthetic corpse or prosthetic in this case like a neck, and then that way they could do the effects without it actually harming him. So um, if you've ever seen uh, like the sec- the secrets of magic revealed, where they done you know some magic illusionist. Or if you ever seen, you know, the behind the scenes as Kyle said with Friday Thirteenth, I saw the behind the scenes from from Saw. That's how I was. That's how I was able to formulate my opinion that I think it's a sort of a trap door and they bought and a like a dummy body. But then uh, we go back to Marcy is inside of the restroom, and she's like washing up, and then uh, she ends up hearing some noises and she sees the killer, 
and the killer has an axe and like pushes up or against and all of a sudden we see and this is one of the things that did bother me because i don't see the purpose of needing this obviously you're doing it because you're hiding the need for a special effects but we see the killer bring the axe up and then you see like it hit the light and then the axe comes down as for an off-camera kill and then we look down at marcy and she has axe to her face and now marcy's dead yeah that, that axe to the face uh once again tom zavini did a great job with that it looked really really good this is why i prefer practical effects over uh over special effects So, um, from there, we hear Brenda goes outside, and I have no idea why. Um, but she hears a voice, and she's out in the rain, and she ventures out to the archery range. And one of the cool things we saw with Brenda earlier is Brenda was out in the archery range, and all of a sudden, an arrow whizzes past her, who was, uh, we saw that it was done by Ned. But a little bit behind the scenes, because Tom Savini is a genius, he was the one that actually shot the arrow that narrowly missed Brenda. And when you see it, I mean, it had to be pretty close to pinpoint accuracy for it to, to miss Brenda. And so um, credit to you know Tom Savini for pointing out that stump, because I can tell you as somebody who's done uh, archery, you know, I, I've used the bow and arrow before uh, for target practice. It's something that takes a lot of um, a lot of practice and patience to learn how to accurately like hit a bullseye. So that was pretty amazing. So this is essentially what we're seeing is is a recall foreshadowing of Brenda going back to the archery field from from a scene that's earlier in the movie. Uh, and then when she comes out to the archery range, uh, the lights turn on, and that's all we see at that point. So. We see we're explaining yeah. another essentially looks like another off camera situation. Yeah, unfortunately, there's a lot of these. Yes, um, but, but man, that's some that's some crazy trust they have in Tom Savini to to shoot that arrow that that close. Oh yeah, I mean, in a bow and arrow is I I can just. I mean, there's different types of, not to go on a tangent about that, there's different types of tips of a bow and arrow. Um, I, my brother for a while was really into archery, uh, whether it was just target practice. Um, he actually did bow fishing for a minute. Um, but it could do, when I say, I mean, serious damage, in some ways, it, it may sound crazy to the listeners, but um, it could do more damage than a bullet, it's, because um especially on depending on the range of, of the bow and arrow coming at you but it's it's between it going through and then the pulling out process um it could do more damage than a, a bullet slug it, it is a very dangerous weapon for somebody to use yeah i'm a, i for one wouldn't wouldn't trust anybody i don't care how how good you are i, I wouldn't do it <laughs> So 
we go back to uh, Steve Christie. Steve Christie, who left to go get supplies, he was at a diner and he gets caught in the rain and he's coming back to his coming back to Camp Crystal Lake, and his car ends up dying and he gets a, a lift from a, I believe it's a police officer. I know it's a, at least a, a law enforcement officer, and drops him off at Camp Crystal Lake. So he gets to the basically the, the front of the property and he, and he gets to the sign that says "Welcome to Camp Crystal Lake." And all of a sudden, a flashlight comes on. And he he goes, you know, who's out there? And as the person comes closer, he goes, hey, uh, what are you doing out here? And then all of a sudden we see it looks like it looks like Steve, you know, Steve is stabbed in the stomach because all you see is basically him kind of like hunched over with like that. uh, Like, I'm dead. Which is another cue I really don't like because it's again, I know part of it, you know, is budgetary reasons and stuff like that, but it's like. You could have shown him getting stabbed at least. Yeah, very true. Uh... So, at, at this point, we're already up to like seven deaths in this film. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and again, at this point, we're left with Alice, uh, another camp counselor, Bill, and Brenda, who they we don't know where she's at because she left um yeah when they're once alice and bill realizes that everybody's essentially gone and then uh the power goes out and the phones are dead and they can't operate a truck then they start figuring like oh there's something's wrong uh bill goes out to check the generator and when he goes out to check the generator uh he doesn't come back so alice goes looking for him because he's been gone for so long and she goes to where the generator is and doesn't see bill and then she turns the door and ends up finding a bill against the door with arrows through his body and i'll be honest this is not very on this one particular equation this is not good special effects because i mean i know at the time it's 1980 but you could it just looks very very porous like a rubber mannequin or something yeah uh i mean it can't be perfect (laughs) it could be worse it could be like in the in the later friday 13th i'm sure we'll cover the one where the guy gets his head crushed and it's just like oh that's really bad oh yeah oh yeah the one where it's like clearly fake yeah Anyways, this this gets you know our our final girl, um, Alice, to go running back, and she ends up going back running into the um, into where like the common room, I guess is the actual term, locks herself in there, and then she goes up against the wall screaming, and then it's basically like a kitchen, and through the kitchen window we see Brenda get thrown through the window. So now Brenda's dead. But the thing that's interesting about Brenda is Brenda is she's like kind of like her face is all beat up, you know, blood all over it. And you think that she got she would be hit with arrows because she went to the archery field, but she has a rope around her body. And it doesn't like there's no yeah, arrows through her body. Like or it looks like she got shot by an arrow. Yeah, I didn't get that. This seems like a this seemed kind of like they didn't really put 
much they had an idea that they didn't go with it and just kind of threw something together. Uh, one of the things I will say though about this scene is weird. Uh, is probably just the actor just probably just uh, did it without thinking, and then they just didn't cut it. Which, when the body gets thrown and you see her her laying on the ground, if you look, you can see her move multiple times. And it just kind of takes it away <laughs> when you see her move because the way that she just moves. <laughs> well, I mean, the way that this film is, I mean, and the way that you see her body, I would say this: it's entirely possible she could have came back in a uh, in another film. I mean, that's just in my opinion. I I just don't like she does she doesn't look dead. Um, and you know, the other thing, too, just a real quick thing about Brenda. This is her last role she ever acted in. Yeah, so oh, this wow. was, you know, she did very, um, she did a very small, like, she had uh, two episodes in a, in a TV series in 73, uncredited role in, in 1974. She did a small run on a TV series in 70 through 79, and then she did Friday the 13th, and that was it. And then, un- unfortunately, um, at the age of forty-nine, she ended up uh, in two thousand seven, succumbing to pancreatic cancer. Um, and the documentary you're talking about, um, you know, she was one of other, uh, you know, as part of the whole Friday Thirteenth legacy, uh, one of many others who they paid, they dedicated that documentary to, um, with other deceased cast members and crew members. Um, but yeah, and the reason I, I I brought up Brenda was because I don't know why I thought she was like famous for something else, and so when I looked up her information, I, I couldn't believe this was her last thing that she ever did. Yeah, that's that's sad that this is this is the last thing she did. Um, so after Brenda gets on the body, uh, Alice then uh, she ends up fleeing the cabin. Um, you know, she had locked herself in, so she ends up like, you know, getting out of the cabin when she sees a light, thinking that it's the the owner, uh, Steve Christie. Instead, she is greeted by uh, Mrs. Voorhees, uh, who says that she's an old friend of the Christies. So she kind of like, you know, tells her everything's gonna be fine. I'm gonna take care of you. And Alice wants to leave, but you know, Miss Mrs. Voorhees tells her like everything's gonna be okay. And she tells him everybody's dead. And she's like, oh, let me go look. So she go inside and, they, and she sees Brenda's dead body. And also Mrs. Voorhees is just like, oh, man, this place is cursed. I told them. I told them. You know, it's just it all goes back to, uh, you know, the, the boy that drowned. And she's talking about the boy that drowned in 57 and blame it on the counselors who were not who were supposed to be watching them. But instead were having sex. And then it quickly is revealed that Mrs. Voorhees is the mother of Jason, the kid that drowned in 57, as well as the person who's been doing all the killing in this film. And we go into, which I, you know, it's been a while since I saw Friday 13th, but actually a pretty long, like, you know, sequence of, um, I would say like a final final scene between you know a final girl scene between Alice and Mrs. Voorhees where they're fighting inside the cabin 
and then they're fighting outside the cabin and then she hides herself like in a like in a pantry then she attacks her it, one of the funny parts was uh, she locks herself like in a pantry and uh mrs Voorhees like knocks down the door with like an axe and um alice hits her with a, a skillet i can tell you this man i cook i do a lot of cooking and i have a cast iron skillet if i hit you in the head with a skillet you're not getting up especially an old woman but they had some premium another one was when they're fighting and then uh, miss before starts smacking her around like you know front fisting back you know front hand backhanding her and then alice like hits her between like the crotch area with like a like a some sort of like um I don't know if it was an axe or if it was like a fire poker, but it was weird. Like hit her like right, like right up the middle with it, and then uh, you know knocks her down, and then they end up you know Alice ends up going outside near the uh, the boats where she is attacked again by Mrs. Voorhees, and they're just they're fighting back and forth, and Alice gets away, and she goes and picks up the machete and goes you know kind of running after in slow-mo after pamela uh, mrs Voorhees, and mrs Voorhees has his look like no and off with the head with mrs Voorhees. what did you think about this like kind of this final girl scene between alice and mrs Voorhees? oh this, this is one of the one of my favorite parts of the movie and probably one of the things that saves it from saves it for me from being like just absolutely hating this film. It's a, a an amazing final act, uh, but I mean, once again, like I said, I don't care about Alice. There's been no character development to make me care about Alice. She's literally just the girl that that was that was left. There's there's nothing that makes me care that she is the final girl. And even though I liked the whole point of view thing and not knowing who the killer was i wish they would have like done something earlier where like miss mrs Voorhees was there already and that they knew who she was because we're sitting here throughout the whole movie trying to figure out who the killer is and all of a sudden mrs Voorhees shows up we've never, we've never seen this woman before and, and it's like okay well it's easy to figure out who the killer is now it, it's not really shocking when you find out that she's the killer because it's easy to figure out because she's the only person we haven't seen all movie until just then. But uh, other than that, though, it's a great, great fun. I will say I did have problems with the fact that Alice was numerous times where Alice, uh, uh, she like pretty much knocked out Mrs. Voorhees, but she just never finished her. She just ran off and like, went hid into a different cabin until Mrs. Voorhees came, uh, came looking for her, which made no sense whatsoever. But man, when she gets in that final battle with her and finally decapitates her, that's like one of the greatest uh, moments ever. Yeah, and you know, and again, one of the things about this, the way it's, it was also done, is that it was done in a way where I think the slow mo adds a little nice touch to it. And then when the you know Alice comes with the the machete to to decapitate Mrs. Voorhees, the way it's shown is essentially. It looks kind of like a frailing arms, and then the head just falls off, and and you don't see the head, so you it also doesn't show that it's fake. So I think it was done in a way to make it look as realistic as possible, and I I did I did like that part of this this essentially, which is the final kill of the film. 
so but from there uh alice ends up getting into into a, a boat and is just kind of drifting at sea until um in the morning comes up the we see like uh, the local police caesar kind of flags her down and then all of a sudden just at a jump scare from behind alice out of the water we see a young boy that we is presumed to be jason attacks alice and brings her into the water of crab crystal lake and all of a sudden uh, from that we get like a, a split second change to a scenery of alice inside of a hospital bed screaming and the police and medical people are there attend to her and you know checking that she's okay she's okay and uh you know alice asks where's the boy and the police are what boy what boy are you talking about it goes the boy the boy in the lake and he goes there was nobody there there was no signs of any boy and the last thing we hear is she says then he's still there with this i don't want to say this dumb look on her face but she has like this like confused dumb look on her face and that's how the movie ends yeah i i wish they would have done if they would have just had her being out there in the lake and then jason popping up and grabbing her and end it like that that would be perfect but the fact that they didn't and they did this whole dream sequence that makes no sense then uh you know that's where the, the, they kind of screwed up but i wish they would have just ended it after jason grabbed because it would have been a great jump scare to end the movie but then they ruin it with the dream sequence yeah the other thing a part, a part of this too is this is this whole thing is that it, it begs the question why because obviously in Friday the 13th, in the original, Mrs. Voorhees' killer is dead. There's no, there's no reason to suspect there's a second killer. We know Jason's dead because they said that Jason is dead. So when you have this and she says that, it makes it look like she's schizophrenic. Instead of... If you go leaving where Jason pulls in the water, it's like maybe Jason isn't dead. Maybe that he somehow survived in the water. Maybe it's something else. I just think it, it allows for more questioning than the way they ended it because I feel like they ended to make it seem like she's just crazy. Yeah, that's true. But then, the, but the fact that they had all these, the fact that they did all the sequels afterwards just shows me it would have been perfect to end it with Jason popping out because that would set up for why Jason is in the sequels because them doing the dream sequence uh, shows it's not. Because for those not who don't know, originally uh, there was no plans whatsoever for a sequel. Uh, I don't uh, – the Jason thing was literally just supposed to be just for a jump scare. There was no plans to bring Jason into the Friday the 13th, uh, into the into, into the rest of them. It was just going to be the one and done. Like we said before, they just wanted to do a cash grab and rip off Halloween. But Jason became a pop, uh, something that people got excited about, and so they ended up having to do a sequel. And obviously he became the, the – thing that pretty much ran the franchise then 
Well, I hope nobody got uh, as far as you know. We're not 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 this moment, but eventually we'll, we'll get into the more Friday Thirteens. You know, sp- specifically Friday Thirteen Part Two. I know will more likely be our next one. But so I hope you didn't get attached to Alice as being the sole survivor because you're going to be heartbroken coming when we cover Part Two. And I'll leave that topic for another day. Um, any final thoughts about this film before we go into ratings, Kyle? Uh. And, and I mean, it. I I like it for the most. It's not really. A lie. I respect it for it spawning my favorite franchise, and I do like some of the kills. One of the things we didn't talk about that uh, that is a major plus for this film is the score. The score for this is is phenomenal. The like, it, it, it's almost iconic here in some of the the score. Because you can, you can hear this, uh, and you can tell immediately that oh, this is from Friday the Thirteenth. Whether it's the iconic Jason uh, score, the Kiki uh, uh, Ma 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 thing, or uh, just the, the scores for whenever there's there's chase scenes or or somebody's getting killed. Yeah, you know, one of the things I would add to that is that, you know, doing some of the research is that the, the score behind it was done intentionally to not have a lot of music because when compared to Halloween, Halloween has a lot of music in it in a number of areas. But the way they did it for Friday 13th was that they only had music uh, or the score when the killer was around to make it more ominous. And why I love Halloween score, and I think it's the fucking amazing the best that's ever been but what friday 13th did was i think took it in a you know accentuate a positive of let's use this to make these particular scenes more ominous you know essentially kind of the concept less is more and by doing so i think built up those death scenes and the the thought of the killer being around it's like because then when you hear you're like oh something's gonna happen Yeah, yeah, it's good triggers for knowing when something's about to happen. So, uh, with that, we'll go into our ratings. I really feel that we should use machetes just because it's Friday the Thirteenth. So, oh, yeah. based check. on a, our scale that we've come up with, you know, which is basically zero to five, uh, and we'll use machetes. How many machetes will you give this one? Oh, man. This one's going to be tough. I know, like, I know some of the Friday 13th fans, diehards like I am, may. And maybe wanting my head on a on a stick after this one, because I mean, like I said, I respect this movie, and there's a lot of things I like about this, but I really don't like this film as much as you would think, and it's one of my least liked in the franchise. Uh, just because of you know, there were some good kills. There's an iconic score. The, I mean, you got Betsy Palmer, absolutely amazing performance as Mrs. Voorhees. 
uh, the final act is is uh, is wonderful. But there's really no character development at all in this. I mean, there's a lot of off-screen kills as well, and plus, I mean, they kill a snake too for no reason. Uh, shit. Uh, I guess I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with a solid three out of five. Well, to go off of uh, kind of what you said, I will also give it a three out of five. I do like the score. Um, I do like the point of view aspect from the that the killer had the things i didn't like about it is when i look at a film when i give it ratings is the characters and how the story progresses for a film that's 95 minutes i don't think that's a long time of film but with this film i feel like 95 minutes is too long i feel like that you could have cut you could have cut easily 20 minutes out of it i felt there was like a lot of just lag and with that lag you could use that to develop you know your your characters for people to buy into your characters to like alice or even like bill it just seems like you hire these people for the sole purpose to kill them which i completely understand because it is a slasher film but you also want to have re reasons for people to care if somebody lives or dies um you know when you look at the you know as i give a comparison they stole from they stole from halloween you loved Lori. You wanted Lori to succeed. You cared about Lori. You even like you even had the feelings about Annie. You had feelings about Linda. And so when they died, it seemed like it was a big deal because of how they interacted with each other. You didn't feel that in this movie. It just felt like everything was random. And so for the fact is there was no character development. I feel like there was a lot of lag that you could have used to develop your characters. Um that is why I'd give it a three. I do think it's still a solid. I, I think it's still a film that has replay value. I still think it's a film that people would enjoy if it comes on, especially when it's Friday the 13th. Like, there's no problem popping it in. Um, is, you know, there's reasons to like the film, especially when you look at, you know, like, as I mentioned, the kills, the point of view aspect from the killer, when the killer finally introduces himself as Mrs. Voorhees. Um, but... I have also seen better films. I, I think like when you compare the first three of like the biggest franchises, which in my opinion would be Halloween, I'm on Elm street and Friday 13th, Friday 13th is not even on the same level as the original nightmare and the original, uh, Halloween. So that's, those are my thoughts. Uh, as we finish our third week of our summer horror, you know, we're basically, if you guys notice, everything that we've covered in the month of July has been around summer from uh, Jaws uh, previous week, as well as uh, Why Is It Escaping Me, Kyle? Um, what was the first one we watched? Oh, I know she did last summer. I know yeah. we did. I know we so, did last and summer. And then we're also finishing up our summer of horror with next week, we cover the 2013 film The Purge. That starred Ethan Hawke. That was uh, produced by Blumhouse Productions. You know we are a big fan of them. I'm excited for that because that success of that kicked off its own franchise that a lot of people love. With especially uh, this this month of July 2021, we saw the Forever Purge come out. So I'm excited for that as we finish the month of July. Anything you want to say in our closing comments, Kyle? Before we uh, send our listeners off. 
Oh, uh, make sure to check out Fear Street on Netflix. I cannot recommend it enough. And thank you all for listening and continuing to check us out each week. We appreciate it and we love you and uh, we hope you'll continue uh, checking us out. Um, With that, I'll leave you all with this. Um, As we're still in the summer, as much as I love summer because you can go swimming and it's great. And uh, make sure you guys stay hydrated out there because in many areas across this, uh, you know, wherever you're from, uh, where's high temperatures, it's important to stay hydrated, get your electrolytes in. Also, uh, make sure you stay, you know, mentally sane for the better part. And when I say that is that, you know, wellness is a very big thing. Uh, one of the things I've done over the last month is uh, kind of give my recertification to wellness. Um, and that is, you know, going to the gym on a consistent basis because those endorphins kick in. It makes me feel better about, feel better about myself, both mentally and physically. I really uh, enjoy it. And it's also... Um, going through this time as you all know that we're things are opening up you're still going through a pandemic it's important to try to stay as healthy as possible uh eat healthy as possible keep your immune system uh you know working on all cylinders so i really just want everybody to be out there and stay healthy so i really you know the importance of staying hydrated the importance of keeping a healthy mind body and spirit is extremely important and with that we must bid you adieu Goodbye, good night, and remember, every day is Halloween.